I'm Johnny D, the Motivational Cowboy. Welcome to the Outstanding Life Podcast, episode number two with Tom Whitmire. And sitting next to me, we have Mr. Chuck Dodge. And uh, in the first segment, we talked about Tommy's adventures after college. And Tommy, in the at the very, very end, you talk about HBO. You talk about, you know, you getting that, that letter from HBO saying you did not get the show idea but how cool was it that you actually got a letter back it's pretty cool and just as a quick uh, hook to our readers i didn't mention if i got a response from conan o'brien yet so stay tuned to the end <laughs> for that so 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 new york's not done yet or did you hang out there for a little bit longer i d- <laughs> you're pulling random stories out johnny i was there long enough that i decided madison square garden everybody talks about it i've never been i have to go yeah so I go to Madison Square Garden. New York Knicks are playing the Philadelphia 76ers in basketball, and I decide I'm going to scalp a ticket. So I find this young man, sells me a ticket for $10. I go uh, into the building to the ticket takers, and they said, yeah, you're going to have to go over there. And I said, what? And she goes, see your ticket? And she pulls out in her pocket, and she goes, yeah, I have about 13 more of those. You bought a fake ticket from a scalper. And I said, give me that. And I don't know why they would never do this again. I bolted to where I bought that ticket as if I was going to find this scalper and I was going to confront them. <laughs> that did not happen. I just bought a $20 ticket from a scalper. I figured that if I increased it a little bit, I would get back into uh, back into the Madison Square Garden. And I didn't. I watched the game. The best story didn't happen that day. It, it happened two days prior before I went into New York City, I actually hung out in, I believe it's uh, the Meadowlands okay. of New Jersey. So that's where I camped out before I crossed the George Washington Bridge. And I bought, I sculpted a ticket to the New Jersey Nets game. And I have this thing where at the end of the third quarter, a lot of times, you can see when people grab their jackets. It's cold and yeah. New Jersey. You can see when they grab their jackets that they're done. They're leaving. So I will find a target. I'll meet them at the gate and I'll say, if you're leaving, can I have your ticket? And 75% of the time, the people are grateful to give you their ticket because they know you're a young man and that you can go down and sit in you know, the third row. So somebody gives me their ticket. I go down. I'm sitting in the third row. All of a sudden, with four minutes to go in the game, there's this whole birthday celebration. Everything's on the big board, and I'm up there as well. <laughs> I'm I'm young enough that I, at this point in life, I don't know who Joe Piscopo is, but Joe Piscopo is sitting in front of me. I'm in with his group, and the next thing I know, Joe Piscopo, myself, and his best friends, we're all eating cake together <laughs> courtside at the New Jersey Nets game. <laughs> and you sculpted that ticket too? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Of course. I love that. So so what happens? You leave, you leave New York. So New York's done. I get back into my... Uh, Your home. My minivan. <laughs> At this point, I'm what I'm doing is I'm, I'm sleeping in um, hotel parking lots, and I tend to use amenities at universities and like college campuses. Um, don't recommend it now, maybe. Yeah. But at that point, I looked young enough. I could put on kind of like a you know a sweatshirt and go into like their hockey facility. So at like the University of uh, you know Massachusetts Amherst, I'm in their hockey facility 
showering in the locker room and just organizing my stuff. So just kind of like moving from facility to facility down the coast. I end up visiting some friends in the Triangle, which is Chapel Hill, Raleigh, Durham. Mm-hmm. We'd go to B-dubs, BW3s, and they're holding a Buffalo wing eating competition. We're just there to watch the Michigan State football game. I go to the bathroom. I come out. They're announcing my name. So my friends have entered me in a Buffalo wing eating competition while I'm in the bathroom, <laughs> unbeknownst to me. They say what the prize is and everything. So I'm like, well, I might as well do it. I enter this competition. It's not how much you can eat. It's they just give you 20 wings and whoever finishes them first wins. Okay. No beverages. I don't know what's going on. The next thing I know, I'm declared the winner and I end up having the, to actually live in my car in North Carolina for another week because I have qualified for the national championship. <laughs> so I've qualified for the national championship of North Carolina wing eating competition. So every week during the football season, starting in August, they had a competition all the way through whatever that championship game was. And now next week's the national championship. So I hang out in in the triangle there and check out Duke University in North Carolina, um, visit my friend, go watch him teach high school, hang out in the back of the room, kind of use my time. And the next thing I know here, I'm at, at this wing eating competition. They explained the rules profusely, Johnny, and I listened to the rules. However, we live in a world where we're not always rewarded for doing the right thing or following the rules. And the young man next to me, for some reason was allowed the entire time that he could eat a wing and then swish it down with his beverage. However, consuming beverages was against the rules. So I have no idea, but I took second place in the competition. He gets all these gift certificates, lavish prizes, neon signs. They give me a towel with a Miller Light bottle <laughs> beer on it of a man who doesn't even consume alcohol <laughs> by choice. Yeah. But what they didn't know, but maybe they did, is that then became the towel that I would hang on the back window of the minivan so nobody could see in it when I was sleeping from various hotel to hotel to parking lot to parking lot. Uh, apologize to my mother again for the stress that that might have caused her because in her mind there was going to be some chainsaw massacre that was going to be entering my van and massacring me. So I hopscotched all the way down, drove, spent 70 of 72 hours in my van trying to outrun a winter storm that was about to blow into North Carolina. So I woke up at Cape Hatteras and drove Highway 1 or A1A, the coast, Like the scenic route yeah. from Cape Hatteras, past St. Augustine, past Cape Canaveral, past the Palm Beaches, the Treasure Coast, through Broward to Miami-Dade, and finally got out of my car for the first time. I could barely walk on South Beach. Wow. And to this day, it was one of the best parking spots I've ever got. Walk out <laughs> on the South Beach, beautiful sunny day. Can bear, my knees barely function. I sit down in the ocean to take a, b- a breath, and like it was a postcard or a movie or a meme, a beautiful topless woman walks in front of me, and I said, I have arrived. <laughs> <laughs> beautiful buxom blonde just happened to be there. So I hung out in Miami for a little bit. My car needed an oil change. There was a very big, at this time, communication problem between me and having four years of Spanish at high school, 
with the, but it never clicking and me trying to negotiate an oil change did not work. And at this point I figured I need to go as South as I can go where us one ends at the end of the rainbow, a little place you've might've met known. You've might've heard Jimmy Buffett sing about a little place we like to call Key West. Oh, nice. So I, I you guys might be curious but Tommy, have you worked at all during this process? Because yeah, I mean, you have. The I greatest... worked at spending no money. I had a, a, a I had a five dollar and thirty six cents on food allowance that I allowed myself, and was putting everything on a Michigan State federal credit card, credit union credit card. Okay. And was just basically paying for gas and eating horrible fast foods that I'm right. not proud of at this point in life. So, so you haven't worked yet. Yeah, and and now you're in South Beach. No, I've left South Beach. Oh, I'm Beach. sorry, Key West. Key West. Now I yeah, I yeah, spent the night in uh, Key Largo, watched the beautiful sunrise, and then drove over that pristine blue water in the Seven Mile Bridge. Yep. I come in the Key West. I take a left. I kind of go off to the side of the road at this lot, deciding when to get out and stretch my arms, and I end up walking across something I'd never seen before in my life, and that was a horseshoe crab. And the horseshoe crab was flipped over, and it looked like a bird had pecked a hole in it. And I took this, and I put it on my windshield, or on my dashboard, and it kind of became the symbol of my trip that the horseshoe crab, you know, was always suctioned to the sand. And from above, it's got impenetrable armor, uh, and it's got spiky tail and nobody messes with the horseshoe crab, but some bird got it flipped over and exposed its weaknesses and was able to peck at it. And that was going to be my logo, of which I then created a company called Quest for Greatness with a horseshoe crab yep. as the uh, as the symbol. Nice. So so, and then what? <laughs> I mean, I mean, li- listen. I'm to, glad it, you asked. I'm, I'm, we got 20 more minutes, man. So I head down <laughs> Duval Street. I hit Duval Street. Um, which is kind of like the uh, Rodeo Drive of yeah. Key West, if you will. It goes from one side of the island to where all the tourist traps and everything are. And I'm taking in the whole thing. Um, get to a place called the Duval Beach Club, and there's a pier there. But it's not the Mallory Square popular pier. It's the unpopular pier. And I'm on that pier. I got this junky video camera that somebody gave me during the course of my travel. Somebody said, I'll never use this. Take this. I'm standing at the end of the pier with this video camera waiting to videotape the sunset. And somebody taps me on the shoulder that's standing there and goes, hey, check this out. And he points at kind of the beachy ocean area and he says, my buddy just buried a note in a bottle in the sand. And then he told his girlfriend, let's go for a walk. And they're about to walk over it. And I said, well, I'll film this. So his buddies and I are standing there. I film this guy getting down, you know, the woman getting the note, him opening it. He gets down on his knee, proposes to the woman. She says yes, screams over to the pier. And oh, my God, all my friends were there watching it. How wonderful. I get the whole thing on video. I kind of get into it. I'm video. I'm interviewing them about the what happened and everything. Yeah. Then we go to the Duval Beach Club. We're sitting there, and they say, "Rewind the video. We want to watch it." So there's this whole commotion in the bar. I got the video camera out. Everybody's looking at it. They're looking at the video. They're all celebrating everything. 
when it finally calms down. This is all on the same day. Same day. <laughs> when it finally comes calms down, this older woman walks around, hands me a business card that says LPTV on it and says, my name's Lynn Parker. I just bought the television studio in Key West. I have no idea what I'm doing. You seem to know what you're doing with video cameras. Why don't you work for me? Shut the front door. <laughs> Do you have sound effects? <laughs> no, but here, but but here's the thing, Johnny. I told Johnny, you're excited about that that proposal. I think that's great. What a great way to propose, eh? <laughs> Message in a bottle. I can, I, you know, and everybody that that's listening right now. I told you that Tommy was one of the most interesting men I know. I don't even know any of these stories, so just keep going, Tommy, because I don't even know where. I don't even. So, did you end up going to work for? So when you meet <laughs> crazy people in a bar <laughs> that give you a job offer of, because you're holding a video camera, now in life I know those are crazy people in a bar who offer people because they're holding a video camera. This woman was insane. But as Chuck and Mr. Redbeard have said, it's these small little incidences of us putting ourselves out there and us doing things and not having fear that start to add up. She acquired a giant video camera that you put on your shoulder uh, from a friend. He said, I have to, you know, once I get through Christmas, so this was December 10th. Once I get through the Christmas season, then I will help you because I'm currently doing weddings and holidays and teaching at the university, but I have the equipment and there's other person doing this. So my mind goes a mile a minute. I'm in my minivan. I'm sleeping outside the library. When I hear the garbage truck go by in the morning, it's kind of like my alarm to get up. I drive to the ocean. I park like in the mangroves and I'm on my computer and I start developing shows. Now, this woman would always make a joke about kind of the prime clientele in uh, Key West, and I'm creating shows to cater to this clientele. That's stuff that nobody's ever done before, but it's like late night shows in front of the live sunset at Mallory Square where we interview the street performers and all the weird people that live in Key West. Uh, going into some of the bars and they have a lot of uh, drag bars are popular mm -hmm. there. So shows with the names of like uh, translucent, a clear look at the art of drag and other various shows. And I'm developing logos and themes. She's excited on the day we're all supposed to come together. The man that owns the video camera has all the equipment, all the knowledge, all the editing doesn't show up. And lo and behold, over the course of a couple of days, we found out that he has passed away over the Christmas break and that his brother is going to be in town. And his brother had got a hold of Miss Lynn and asked if maybe she could bring some friends to help liquidate his stuff. So the next thing I know, I'm going to turn over here and look at Mr. Redbeard because all of a sudden they've called in an expert at running an auction at a storage unit and he's auctioning and I'm clerking for the auction and we're selling this guy's collection, all these amazing vintage cameras and just this guy's whole life. We end up all going to the, that same bar Duval beach club as a thank you. And they're talking about, uh, they don't know what his brother's in town for two days. They don't know what they're going to do uh, with his sailboat that he lived on. 
and Lynn asked me, you told me you were looking for a place to stay. So she sets it up. His brother turns me on the stool and says, I want you, if you want it, I want you to be able to move into my brother's sailboat, meet me tomorrow. I'll make you an offer you can't resist. So the next day I'm at Peninsular Marina. I'm sitting in this sailboat. It's a 28-foot catch that he designed, uh, Adolf Gusinski, designed it by hand, uh, sailed it through Buffalo, New York, through all the canals there, the St. Lawrence Seaway, out into the ocean, sailed it to Germany, lived in a marina in Germany. He did his, I would say, like PhD work there. His wife uh, taught elementary school. Wow. So I move in this boat and Herman makes me an offer. Well, why don't you just pay me $50 a month? Okay. <laughs> and he goes, oh, well, we'll have to get an end price. What about $9,000? I don't know. You guys are quicker at math. What is that? 27 years or some ridiculous thing? <laughs> 30-year mortgage. Uh, I would have this paid off at $50. I'm not an idiot. I said yes. And we both signed a napkin. And and the P jar, to this day, I remember the P jar is like still in there. He sells it to me as is. I go through every folder and every love letter that he had ever written his wife was in a folder. But unfortunately, there was a separate folder of the entire breakup and everything that led to their divorce and every handwritten letter or printed computer piece was also meticulously filed and still uh, on this boat. But I thought, oh my gosh, this guy has to have buried treasure (laughs) somewhere on this boat like he worked at the university he filmed weddings he did videography work uh, graphic design all this amazing story so i see this coal burning wood stove in a boat in key west florida and i'm thinking what's going on here and i open the trap door and i kind of got my arm in there i'm going down i feel this bag of stuff. I get the bag, my arms covered in soot. I get the bag out. I'm so excited. Oh my gosh, this is going to be the ending of my boat of my book. Going to be finding this boat and I open up the bag and it was full of coal. <laughs> so it was like little bricks of coal and wood. I thought it was going to be money. So I'm just curious, is the boat paid off now? So let me tell you, Johnny, (laughs) at this point, I'm completely out of money. However, I had a college degree. (laughs) And like one of my mentors, Chuck Dodge, you can always get a job as a substitute teacher. Okay. So I went to Key West High School No questions asked. They hired me as a substitute teacher. No background checks, no transcripts, just an interview. And I show up, needless to say, what they should have done a background check because I was sleeping in my van (laughs) outside the library. Then I woke up in the morning, drove to the high school, 
went into the teacher's lounge, shaved in the bathroom <laughs> of the teacher's lounge, did a little, you know, what do they call it? Just essential oil shower, yeah. if you will. <laughs> and was sitting in front of teachers or on students as their teacher on February 2nd. Is that a special day? February 2nd? Yeah. It might be. It came before the the day before the music died. Okay. Either way, it was Martin Luther King Day. Okay. So here I am, just showered, shaved, and I and they give me my lesson plans, and I'm to teach Martin Luther King and recite the I Have a Dream speech, which I think I did a good job. But in the middle of this, a bell rings, and 30 kids in class, 28 of them get up and say, we're going to lunch. The two remained after that last kid walked out of the class and shut the door, said, you do know that this isn't our lunch hour, that they all just got up <laughs> and walked out on you. How old were the kids? They were seniors, of course. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's not lunch. <laughs> so I, I go to the uh, teacher's lounge for my break, and this is like, I would only describe it as, Matt Groening, who wrote The Simpsons, must have spent a day in the teacher's lounge at Key West High School because every teacher, I swear, was pouring shots and spiking their coffee and looking at me with this, why on earth would you ever want to teach here? Yeah. Like, this is the end of the road. Like, people that live in Key West that have high school kids, it's because they can't survive anywhere else. Like, they're they're freeloaders themselves now they have kids these are the most free-thinking spirited kids on the planet so i lasted there a couple weeks or no, i taught a couple times for a couple weeks got a job at, at the glass bottom boats the problem with the glass bottom boats in key west florida is that i'm coming from a college degree i'm not in the math but I do know such thing as computers exist and that you don't have to do all your accounting for a multi-million dollar facility on yellow legal paper. And the day I questioned, why are we doing this on yellow legal paper and why are we typing all the numbers into a calculator that then prints, you know, like a little strip? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then at the night when we close the bill, we're just taking those, we're stapling to a yellow legal paper and somebody comes up, comes and picks it up. The day I asked or considered there might be a better way to do this, I I showed up the next day and my pay was in a envelope with my name on it, in cash, down to the penny, and I no longer worked there. <laughs> what I come to find out, and I don't want to turn anybody in, but they give kickbacks to all those vendors on the streets. So mm. if a vendor or a person in a hotel or a concierge person sends somebody to such and such yeah. glass bottom boats, they're giving them a probably not reported on their taxes <laughs> in some way or another <laughs> kickback. So they need everything to have no electronic paper trail. And old college knowledge here was in sniffing up the wrong tree. <laughs> No longer had a job, but can I tell you, Johnny D, the Motivational Cowboy, you can find him at MotivationalCowboy.com. I'm Tom Whitmire. You can find me at TomWhitmire.com, T-O-M-W-H-I-T-M-I-R-E. May I tell you, Johnny, where I ended up working? Where? 
I wait, wait. I think I actually know this answer. Was was that the the butterfly house or the butterfly something? I don't know something with butterflies. I ended up working at the Key West Butterfly and Nature Conservatory. I was close. <laughs> he was. Which I had went almost up and down Duval Street, applying at every single place. I pl- applied to be a doorman at Margaritaville. I applied to sell diamonds at a diamond jeweler. <laughs> With a college degree. <laughs> I don't think they I don't think they saw that sparkle in my eye. But as you brought up with a college degree, most of the bartenders in Key West, Mr. Redbeard, and nod to you, most of the bartenders in Key West are some of the smartest people on the oh, island. Absolutely, yeah. And a lot of them came down there for the summers or in seasons to bartend, realize they can make 10 times more money tending bar than they could teaching high school, teaching college, being professors. And in Key West, they always have a saying that the richest man in Key West is the man who's, whose raggedy shorts are being tied together with a piece of, you know, line yep. or fishing line because they don't care. So on my first, so I applied to run the cash register. That's all I wanted to do. Just leave me alone. I'll run the cash registers. I can go to my van, get the sun. I can type. So I show up on my first day after being interviewed for this job. Let me tell you how an interview, Chuck, works in Key West, Florida. (laughs) The manager, I show up in a polo shirt in khaki shorts, cargo shorts, with a resume that I was never asked to give. And the manager says, in Key West, we have a saying, if you show up to your interview, you get the job. If you show up to work on the first day, we make you a manager. (laughs) I love it. And I thought it was a joke or a saying, but I show up my first day. They didn't have me running the register. I became what I self-entitled the chief operating engineer. I would get there in the morning. I would have the key. I'd open the door. I'd do all of the outside botanical gardens. This is a... $6 $6 million facility, uh, 10,000 square feet, Victorian-style greenhouse, brand new, um, thousands of butterflies from all over the world, uh, USDA grants, agriculture, and they got me out there tending to the hibiscus and the pintas <laughs> and all the flowers. And the day that they first opened their doors was the first day I started there. Wow. And some of the stuff I had to do was like, you know, pick up the the nails that the roofers had left. So the tourists didn't step on them. I mean, I was doing everything. I was in charge of bringing in the boxes, stocking the shelves, doing inventory, you know, sweeping the floors to everything. And I always thought this just because I graduated from Michigan state university, which is an agricultural school. They think (laughs) I know how to tend to hibiscus. Yeah. Well, your parents must have been proud at this point. You finally got a job. My parents thought I was absolutely nuts. What what is my mother supposed to say? How would that reflect on her that I'm living on a sailboat and working at a Key West Butterfly and Nature Conservatory? How long were you there? I arrived in Key West on December 10th. I moved into the sailboat around December 17th. My grandparents coming to visit me... In February or February 17th, my parent grandparents coming to visit me kind of pushed me into I better move out of my van. <laughs> then I got the job about that same weekend that I moved in the sailboat. 
and the job in about the same three-day period. My parents actually came to visit me for their spring breaks that year, back-to-back in April. Um, And I gave my mom a tour of the butterfly facility. And in between my mom coming and my dad coming, I actually quit that job. Oh, no. (laughs) So a pod of pilot whales beached itself off Big Pine Key in the Florida Keys. One of my friends in Michigan phoned me to tell me about this. The same night I went up there to see if they needed any help. I just went to check it out. Right. They said, we need volunteers. We're signing you up from the midnight to 4 a.m. shift. Worst shift on the planet. I show up. I put on my wetsuit. I zip it up the front. Go to go on the water. All the marine biologists are laughing at me because evidently the zipper on a wetsuit goes, goes in, the, in back. the back. That's right. <laughs> Joke's on me. The greenhorn. The rookie. The new guy. The also part of the joke on me is that these pilot whales were sunburned, so they couldn't keep themselves above water. So they had taken snow fence where I come from, that orange fence, and had made like a a circle in that area. And then they had the pod, the pod of pilot whales there. So I walk out with the other volunteer, go in the entrance of this fence, and the marine biologists kind of laugh and give us this exhale of, oh, we're glad you made it. And we're like, what do you mean? You're glad we made it? Like, made it to the midnight ship? <laughs> no, made it to the circle without getting bit by a shark. These are bleeding, bloody animals giving distress signals. And the Florida Keys is home to the bull shark, right. the second most aggressive shark on the planet, to maybe the Gambese or the Great White. Right, yeah. So there we were. Two of us were told, okay, they are sunburned, so they can't keep their blowholes above water. You need to stand here. (laughs) So your knees are kind of like bent, like you're sitting against a wall where you get that tremble and you're holding a whale above water and you're on one side, your partner's on the other side. And where is the center of gravity? On a whale to keep it balanced, I'm going to go to Chuck Dodge or Brent Redbeard LaPonte. Please chime in. Exactly where the blowhole is. (laughs) So every time these great beast mammals take a breath, it shoots this phlegmy, disgusting, (laughs) bloody, mucusy discharge out onto us, and we held those whales for four hours. Wow. I got back in my car after my shift, drove back to the marina, living on a sailboat. You either pee in a peanut butter jar or you walk to the marina where the bathrooms are. And I woke up probably eight hours later in my car. Instead of sleeping in the boat, I fell asleep in my car because I was so tired. (laughs) So I come in the work late that day. I tell them the story. We're a Nature Conservatory is in the name at the butterfly shop. I tell the owners, can I take time to make a flyer that I can put on a sign so when people are standing in line to get in, they can see that they can come volunteer for this. This is a very legitimate resource. There's marine biologists from all over the world that are taking care of these whales. The one owner tells me I can. The other owner comes flying in to the conference room yelling at me, what are you doing? How dare you? I explained the nature conservatory stuff. It got to the point, Johnny, that I quit on the spot. Really? 
Yeah. With your parents there and everything, right? My I was in between. My dad was coming that week. I quit, but I said, "Can I still, can I still bring my dad here?" So there's that three day grace period where I bring my dad there. I entertain my dad. Then I tour him through the facility. They then come to me and say, "Would you consider staying till we can replace somebody?" I said, "I'll give you two weeks. I'll stay, but I have demands." My demands were I didn't want Thomas on my name tag. I wanted Tom, and I wanted to be referred to as Tom, and I was no longer going to wear the butterfly hunter outfit. So I had an actual Steve Irwin-looking brown crocodile hunter shirt that was logoed up, but it gave me, I don't know, too much like authority that they thought I was the scientist. Plus, you know... Everybody, you get these jobs, you have to wear a uniform, they make you work seven days a week, and they give you two uniforms. <laughs> it's 100 degrees in Key West. Yeah, don't they know that you don't have a washer and dryer so on I your sailboat? So I said, can I just wear <laughs> some T-shirts? So my demands were I wanted a new name tag, and I wanted to wear T-shirts, and give me a dollar raise. I mean, you, you're paying me <laughs> dollar, the it. cashier rate, and you're making me run the show. Right. Like, I'm the first one here and the last one to leave. So they give me my demands. I entertain my father. Two weeks goes by. And, and your dad's a scientist, isn't he? So he probably really enjoyed that. Yeah. Yeah, he is. He's a biology teacher, Michigan Outdoors, Flushing High School. Graduated from Hillsdale yep. College, 1968. Played football. <laughs> Outstanding man. And, and here's how it goes. This is the moral of the story for young, young kids out there. Two weeks goes by. I show up again. I said, hey, are you going to replace me? Oh, well, you're doing such a good job. <laughs> we didn't even interview anybody. We thought you'd want to stay. And I quit again immediately that day in June. Drove home. Was sitting on a rock, staring out in the ocean. And I had the coolest marina in the planet because I could watch the sunrise over the Atlantic and watch it set in the Gulf. Or vice versa, wow. depending on the time of the year. So I could see the Atlantic Ocean and the Gulf of Mexico, and there was a little channel that cut the keys right there. I'm sitting there on this rock. This woman in this flowing dress just walks by me. This is I'm in the middle of nowhere in the mangroves. It's not a swimming area. It's a rocky place. She walks into the water, and just when it got up to her head, she just started floating, and I never saw the point where she stopped floating and started swimming in that current. And it just got me thinking trying to figure out what I was going to do. And my phone rang in that moment. It was Herman Gusinski who had gifted me this boat for $50 a month. And he says to me, Johnny D, motivationalcowboy.com. He says, Tom, I just got off the phone with my nephew and he wants to keep the boat in the family. What would you say to that? I said, I quit my job today, yesterday. I said, rent's due in seven days. I'm not paying it. The boat is all yours. <laughs> so I the last it. chapter of my book is called Boats, Butterflies, and Broke. Nice. Nice. Because <laughs> I wound up in Key West completely broke with no vision. Somehow I'm working at a butterfly nature conservatory. I'm living on a sailboat. I'm writing my book, which turned out to be about 364 pages unpublished currently. Any publishers out there? <laughs> and, I had, and I have a saying called, make only 
the days you spend not worth writing about, the days you spend writing. Oh, I love that. Because when I was writing my book, I could I was doing so many incredible things and they were just happening one after another, after another, after another, after another, that all of a sudden I'd get to a day and I like I wouldn't have anything to write about that day, but that was just the day that I spent writing the book. So like, you know, focusing my thoughts and my goals and where I wanted where I'd been and where I wanted to go next. So with just a couple minutes left, what is the biggest lesson you took from your excursion? Do you think, Tommy? Or, 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 or let me ask you this, Tommy. If someone's listening right now, what advice would you give them? Would you tell them to go on an excursion? Would you tell them, whoa, don't do this? Or would you say, hey, I tell you what, maybe you don't want to go away for a year, but maybe go away for a couple of days. Yeah. What, 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 what advice would you give somebody? So it, it ended up to be from, let's say, mid-October to the 1st of June that I was gone. What I learned is if you don't know, ask somebody. And if somebody, if you put yourself out there and somebody gives you advice, uh, whether it's a place to go, a thing to see or something to do, like when you're out there and that advice comes to you, like that's when you're like when you've prayed and you're asking for it to come in, like that's it coming in to you. And then you have to follow that. Yeah. So I, I did some volunteer work for Hurricane Katrina Pet Search and Rescue, um, which reminded me of an old saying that the guy's on the roof, the hurricane yeah. has come, mm-hmm. the water's flooded to his roof, and he's praying to his deity to send help. And a helicopter comes and says, I'll send you a rope and you take you away. No, no, I'm praying for help. And a yeah. boat comes and says, jump in and I'll row you away. No, no, I'm praying for help. And then... And then they say, well, how come you haven't sent me help? You know, up to the, I did. I sent you a helicopter. I sent sent you a boat. boat. I sent you a canoe. Yeah. Like when you, when that is presented to you, that's something that you have to take advantage of. If you're going to ask for it, make sure your eyes are open, your ears are open and actually take the advice that you are asking for. Yeah. Yeah. And and you also said something one time, Tommy, and I got to wrap this up. And that is, you said, try to take a picture a day. I don't know if you remember that, but for a while you, and and, and in life it was, I mean, and now it's easy, but a picture is worth a thousand words. I mean, it's, it's an old cliche, but I'll never forget that. And that was years ago before it was probably a cliche, but you're like, Hey, listen, people need to start taking pictures. Yeah. And I I just, I remember that. We can take pictures in our own ways. Uh, This was a time in my life where I was in the photography, but nobody else had a camera. Like Kodak, discs weren't popular, and we didn't have them on our phones. And I made a a goal just happened um, for that year that I would take a picture a day or the equivalent of, and then yep. at the end of the week I would make a collage. Yep. And I just put the month or that like week on there. And if it didn't, if it, if something didn't happen, it forced me to do something worth taking a picture of the same way of something worth writing about. And then I made those collages, whether it was like to go see a friend on the way, you know, that I hadn't seen before, take a different route from home from work or a familiar place, just go in a different direction. Um, so it forces you, the audience to do something that you might not 
particularly do. And then we have apps, so many apps that you can just take those seven pictures, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and hit collage, collage them yeah. and print them and put them up so that next year or make a calendar out of it. You can see, oh my gosh, when I had that thought, that's what I did. And then you want to keep that thought in your life because when you change the things you look at, the things you look at change. That's right. I love it. Well, guys, we got to wrap things up. Chuck Dodge, thank you so much. Brent, thank you so much. Redbeard. And then Tommy, thank you so much for an over an hour of, of nothing but stories. And I, we could probably go for another couple hours. So guys, if you don't mind, we got to do this some other time. You know, I loved coming up to the ranch, hanging out. And um, so thanks again, Tommy, thanks for sharing your story. Um, you told a lot of stories that I didn't know uh, even existed. So thank you so much. I, I just want to end by thanking uh, Mr. Redbeard, Brent LaPonzi. He's an incredible friend, an incredible human being, an incredible mentor in, in life during that trip. Yeah. They said, if you want to achieve something successful, find somebody else in the world that's already doing what you want to do and yeah. help them achieve their goals. And then they will bring you along with them. And when I first walked into Redbeard's store, uh, general store downtown Flushing and saw all the amazing things that he was doing and having coloring contests and he's on the paper, you know, the mayor's there and he's on the cover of the paper, all the stuff Twilight Tuesday led him to be citizen of the year. I said, I want to follow this man and hopefully someday I'll be citizen of the year. And then Chuck Dodge flew into my life in a flock of geese and just, <laughs> you know, became inspiration of, of somebody that's actually not just talking about it, but they're actually out doing. there doing it and inspiring people and you can just pick up the phone and he's going to answer it. And Johnny D, I met you uh, soon after these stories and we instantly became friends. Uh, Johnny and D and I built uh, his MySpace. Yep. So Johnny said, Tommy, I've been, <laughs> I've been, I've been speaking for, you know, 10 years plus, uh, I took a little time off to raise my daughter, which is what every, you know, great father should do. It's time. I want to get back out there. Can you help me? I've seen you have some computer skills and this was the time of MySpace, and we built a MySpace and Thanks for aging started, me, <laughs> started, uh, promoting his work and started doing pictures and, uh, doing album covers and Johnny D yeah. and Redbeard and I all went to, uh, Went Nashville. to Nashville together and Johnny D and Chuck and I have done, you know, the three speaking of us have gigs. spoken and done speaking gigs together. So Johnny, thank you as well for being yeah. a role model and a mentor and uh, having us all on this podcast. Thanks guys. I appreciate it. And again, I'm Johnny D, the motivational cowboy. I told you it was going to be an incredible podcast. And again, thank you for, for listening. Make sure you like, share, and you can find us on all major platforms. And again, you can go to motivationalcowboy.com to listen for free. Now, on behalf of all of us here, be safe, have fun, and have yourself an outstanding day. Last word? Have yourself a sprout standing day. Aloha. <laughs> Johnny, I'd like you to end this with the poem. This is for you. Live each day as if it were your last. Build on the future and not on the past. Reach for the stars, but don't fall down. And get back up with a smile and not a frown. Dream big. There's no room for small. And no matter what, walk proud and tall. Don't wait for things to go your way. Go out and get them forever to stay. Never give up and never let go. Strive to be the best. Then they'll know. They'll know that you become the best. The best that you can be. And believe in yourself. yourself. That's, that's all, all you ever did need. Outstanding Life is a Soul Bridge Studio production.